faculty, and all of us have looked to him to keep it all going. And I know that you want to give a word of thanks to Gary Peake. Gary? I had not planned to continue my sermon of last evening. However, Cliff Burchett informed me that he had insight into the scripture that, that I had not shared. That when I indicated that the passage as far as the four men holding the corners of the sheet, bringing the man to Jesus, that I indicated they were only four members of the assist team. He said, I was in error. All five members were there. The sick man with the palsy was the assist director. <laughs> What now? What now? Is this the end of an eventful and has been shared a historic week in Southern Baptist life? Or is this the beginning of something new and different that will be working in our associations, touching our churches, blessing our people, and causing all of us together across our convention and across our nation, causing us indeed to take the people challenge. History needs to be studied. We need to know what has happened in days past. And the student of history discovers that often what might appear to be small and insignificant happening in some out-of-the-way place has really been a major turning point. And I have that feeling deep in my soul that this is just such an occasion. All along the pews, you have seen the little card. I'll take the challenge. I want you to take one of those. Take it and look at it. I'll take the challenge because I believe God's Word has the only message for a lost and a dying world 
And because I believe I am responsible for sharing Christ with lost people, during 1986 and 87, I will pray for seven unsaved people. I will give seven Bibles or scripture portions to unsaved people. I will invite seven unsaved people to an outreach Bible study group or to Sunday school. And in the lower right-hand corner of the box, there's a line. In just a little while, I hope you'll sign that card. It'll not be given to your assist director or to the director of missions or to a pastor. It'll not be given to anybody. But we'll ask you to keep it. Put it up on a mirror. Put it in the Bible that you read every day. And keep it before you as the reminder of a commitment made. At the end, no, just the beginning of an eventful week in all our lives. What now? I want to read a passage from the Old Testament and then one from the New Testament. Both of them are speaking of the same thing, two different voices, both directed by the Holy Spirit of God, and they point us to what we're about in these days. In Isaiah, the 35th chapter, verses 8 through 10, Isaiah wrote, And an highway shall there be there, and a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, the wayfaring man, though a fool, shall not err therein. No lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beast shall go thereon. It shall not be found there. But the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with songs and with everlasting joy upon their heads. And they shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. What a glorious promise of what is ahead for those of us who call the name of Jesus. In the New Testament, I read from the 14th chapter of John's Gospel. I want to read from the 24th verse through the conclusion of the chapter. You know well, this is Jesus speaking. Jesus said, 
He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. And the word which ye hear from that one is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, who is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If you loved me, you would rejoice, because I said I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before, it came to pass, that is, it is come to pass, you might believe. Hereafter, I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. And then Jesus said, Arise, let us go hence. There it is. What you have learned in seminars and in conferences, what you have read, what you have shared with each other as to what God is doing in your midst, what you have learned, what you have taken in to be a very part of yourself in these days. You and I must now take that which we have experienced and so focus upon it that when leaving this campus and going back to our places of service and ministry and witness, we will be very careful to remember the words of our Lord let us arise and go hence. There is a job to be done. That which we have experienced we must not leave in the classroom or in the auditorium or in the place of planning, but rather with a determination that as we travel upon the road that Jesus marks out for us in the ministry that he has for each and every one of us, we will go to work and apply to the very best of our ability 
knowing that we do not serve the Master by ourselves, but we do so in the power that His Holy Spirit gives us. And that's the joy of the task that we have. The job that you've got and what you have learned about it in this week will either be for you a burden that you almost cannot carry, or it can become open door after open door in the joy of service with new skills, with new insight, with new purpose, with new direction, knowing where there are new resources that you can lay hold of. Why, if you've only learned about one new piece of resource that you can use in your task, in your job, in your association, it's been worth all the week. But all the multitude of the resources that are available to us, as we listen to the voice of Jesus, who said to his own disciples, let us arise, let us go forth, let us go hence from this place. You see, that is the resounding challenge before us. It just might be that some of you came at the beginning of this conference at a very marked distance from God. Oh, you knew God, and you know that God knows you. But somehow or other, maybe in your coming, maybe your life has just not been what you want it to be. And you know what God wants it to be. And though you might have been active, doing a great many things in your association or in your church, you know in your heart of hearts that you've been walking when there's been some distance, some separation between you and God. What now? At the end of this week, are you still at a distance from the sweet joy and fellowship of the living Christ? Or have you taken a step or two closer and have you realized His nearness? I plead with you, when you leave this campus and return to your places of service, do not leave here that new sense of closeness that you have experienced with fellow Christians. It may be that some of you arrived on this campus a few days ago literally in terror of God, somehow believing that God is someone to be feared that is, that he's waiting around every corner and lurking behind every tree, just waiting to catch you doing something wrong. A lot of folks have that foolish idea about the loving Heavenly Father. I hope something has happened for you this week so that you no longer think of God with terror in your heart, but out of the glorious music that we have experienced together, the singing and the sharing, the reading of the Word of God, the testimonies that have been shared, we have seen living exhibits and living evidence 
of how much God loves every one of us. And so if you came somehow in terror of God, I hope that you've had a change of heart and that you'll go back with a joy. Oh, there are a lot of folks that ought to be in terror of God because they're living devilish lives, listening more to the devil than ever listening to God. You see, that's the mark of the carnal person. That's the mark of the, of the one who has sin so staining his life or her life that the light of Jesus cannot shine through. Years ago, I remember hearing a little poem that there were three ghosts on a lonesome road, and they spake each to one another. How be that stain upon thy hand, no lifted hand may cover, from the breaking of a woman's heart. Brother, oh my brother, the three ghosts on that moonless road spake each to one another. How be that stain upon thy mouth, no lifted hand may cover. From the eating of forbidden fruits, brother, oh my brother, the three ghosts on that dustless road spake each to one another. How be that stain upon thy foot, no dust or ash may cover from the stamping of a neighbor's hearth flames out. Brother, oh my brother, yet on the earth clean men we walked. Glutton, thief, and lover, flesh, and fair it hid our sins that no man might discover, but naked the soul goes up to God. Brother, oh my brother, where you serve, where you live, where you have a responsibility, there are people by the hundreds and by the thousands who live their daily existence consciously or unconsciously, in terror of the wrath of God. Oh, what now? What message then do you have? What hope do you have to offer? What good word of cheer can you give? Why, it is the name of Jesus. And so wherever you serve and whatever you do and whatever the responsibility, you see, the bottom line of it all is the sharing of Jesus to help boys and girls and men and women know Jesus. And oh, when they know Jesus, then the sins are washed away. When they love Jesus, then it is that with new life and new hearts and new bodies awaiting the glories of serving the Master. Oh, you become part of the miracle it will be happening all around you. We've learned a lot of things. It's important to use your tools correctly. You heard about the fellow that was having trouble with his heart. 
And he went to the doctor, and the doctor examined him, and he said, I think we can fix you up in good fix. We can implant a pacemaker for you. And we've had good success, and that'll be all right. Now, we, we'll do that. Would you, would you like for us to do it? And he said, sure. He said, all right. He said, I, I've got a very, very fine, precision-made German model that'll sell for about $15,000. Now, the Japanese, who are so good at uh, making products like that, they've come out with one that's just about like it, and it's available for about $7,000. And just recently, a doctor friend of mine, he said, uh, told me that he had heard that Sears and Roebuck <laughs> was selling one for $187 and said they've had good, good success with it. And so he said, your choice. And the fellow said, well, said, if, uh, if you think it's got a pretty good track record, I'll, I'll take that Sears model, that goodness. So they had the operation, they implanted the pacemaker, they, they, they put that Sears $187 model in. Man came back for the checkup, everything was just going fine. Two or three months went by, man had not come in for the checkup, and one night he was out at the uh, mall, walking up and down the mall, and his uh, doctor friend happened to be out there, and the doctor saw him, and he came up, and he said, he said, you haven't been in for a checkup now in two or three months. He said, I want to know. He said, how's that Sears model of that pacemaker working with you? He says, oh, Doc says, it's just doing fine. He says, I don't know that it'd be, those other ones would have been any, any different. He says, the only thing, however, the only thing I notice is that when I'm at home and I get real frustrated about something, the garage door goes up and down. It's important that we learn to use what we've learned and the experiences that we've shared in the right way. You see, to learn and then to continue to learn, to have an experience and then to keep remembering that experience, to make a commitment that it will continue to live on the mountaintops or in the valleys when the work gets hard or when the work seems to go easy, regardless of how it goes, then the commitment that we make that we will keep our experiences alive and fresh and going and working for the glory of the Lord Jesus. And so I ask you again the question, what now as far as you're concerned? Not the person that's beside you, not anybody that's in front of you, not anybody that's behind you, not anybody in the choir, not me, you. What kind of commitment are you willing to make when we come to the closing service, this service, and this time, and this historic week, when God has blessed us so? I'll tell you just to listen to Dr. McGorman to t tell us about the third chapter of James was worth making the trip. Oh, how God has spoken to us and blessed us. But what now?
What are you going to do with it? How much of it are you going to take home? How much of it are you going to share with somebody else? Are you really going to be a multiplier? What now? Jesus says, let us get up and get on about the business. It's time, he said, for us to get busy, arise, and let us go hence. We're going to ask you to make a commitment. I would not be facetious, and I hope it would not be blasphemous to say, I think that I could speak in the name of Jesus, to say, Jesus, I think would have you make a commitment, a commitment that could make a difference, the difference that this is not the closing service, but the beginning service, that this is not the end of the week, but this is the beginning of what we're going to do. I sincerely believe in my soul that what we have experienced, if we will make the right commitment and if we'll go home and do something about it, we can turn a corner in the kingdom of God. But it'll depend on you. I don't care who you are or what your name is or what your background is. But you, you and you, individually, one by one, you and you and you, to make a commitment to accept the challenge, for there is the calling of a lost world, and we have something that we can give that lost world. It's Jesus. Don't you like to be known as somebody who's generous? Somebody with something to share. My second boy is in his third year in seminary. About three weeks ago, after being nearly three years out at the seminary, and there's so many students now, as we all know, it's, it's, it's hard for the, for the fellows to get a place to preach, and he's been so hungry to preach somewhere he just couldn't stand it. And about a month ago, a little church about 100 miles west of uh, Fort Worth invited him to preach, and then they invited him to come back the next Sunday and preach, and then they said, would you like to be our pastor? And he said, oh, would I? And so that night... That entire vast congregation of 12 people gave him a unanimous call. And I said, Pierce, write it down in your book. It may be the last unanimous thing that will ever take place in your ministry. And I told you that to bring up really what I really had in mind. I've got pictures of grandchildren here. And, and, and Pierce, see, I've got four grandchildren and, uh, and another one due a week from today if it's on time. I told her, go ahead and have it the 4th of July, and everybody had celebrated. <laughs> well, Pierce and Marianne have a little three-year-old. She's cute, I'll tell you. Pierce called me 
one morning and long distance. He said, Dad, just got to tell you what happened last night. He said, we were keeping a little five-year-old neighbor boy. And said, that, that little neighbor boy and, and Natalie were talking and said, we were eavesdropping at the conversation. Said, the, the little five-year-old said, said, Natalie, said, you know what germs are? And I said, germs? No. And he said, well, Natalie, I said, would you like some germs? And they thought, what's going on here? <laughs> and she said, no, but if I do, my granddaddy will get me some. I'm glad she's learning early. <laughs> now listen to me. There's a world out there that needs some loving. Can they look to you for it? There are folks out there who are down and out and up and out and in and out and round and about. No time for church, no time for Jesus, no time for God. But, oh, God loves them. Are you going to let them know that he loves them because you love them? There's a lost world calling for your commitment. I'm not talking to your husband or your wife or your mama or your child. I'm not talking to your neighbor or somebody beside you, front of you or behind you. I'm talking to you. Are you willing to make a commitment to love the unlovely, to love a lost world one by one? Love lost boys and lost girls, lost young people and lost adults. Oh, how we need to make a commitment and how we need to pour some concrete into the commitments that we make, knowing that we can't keep the commitments by ourselves. But you see, all oh, we have an edge. We have the power of the Holy Spirit, and He knows if we mean business or not. And if we mean business, then He gives us the strength and the power to hold those commitments strong and true. Oh, there's a crisis uh, that calls for commitment. Somebody said that a crisis is anything that happens in your life where nothing else is ever the same after. That's a crisis. Now, we've all had them. It was a crisis on that Tuesday morning when my son called me and he said, Dad, hurry home, something's happened to Mother. And I raced out from my study and drove that 10, 12 miles out to where we lived only to see the ambulance there in the yard. And I, it was pulling out for the hospital and I got behind it and somehow miraculously... I just cleared the way in about for 20 miles going into a hospital. I trailed that ambulance only to find when we got there that my wife was dead. Nothing's been the same in my family since that moment. It was a crisis experience. But oh, how Jesus has used the crisis experience for his own glory. 
Now, you see, to make a commitment will bring about a crisis in your life. It means you're going to have to say no to some things and yes to some things, that you're going to have to be earnest about some things. You're going to have to get rid of some things. You're going to have to take a new look at some things. Oh, the crisis of the commitment. But the completion of the commitment that you make simply means that then knowing that we're all in the task together, that we're all working at it together, that as an assist team worldwide, we've joined hands and hearts with others who've made a like kind of commitment. And out of it, you've just got to know that Jesus is going to be honored. I want you to take that card, hold it in your hand and look at it. Read it carefully. Are you willing to do any one of those things that in the remainder of 86 and for 87, would you make a commitment that you would pray every day for seven unsaved people? If you would, check it off. Would you make a commitment? Would you pour some cement about it? Would you ask for the presence of the Holy Spirit of God in your life to help you keep it, the commitment that you make, that you will give Bibles and Scripture portions to unsaved people if you'd make a commitment knowing that when you hand the Word of God to somebody, you're giving them the dynamite of eternity. Would you be willing to invite seven unsaved people to an outreach Bible study group? You probably have to organize it, but you've learned how this week. Or to invite them to an ongoing Sunday school. If you're willing to do that, why don't you check it off? Why should I be telling you to do something I'm not doing? Borrow a pencil from somebody and then sign your name. And under your name, if you're doing it, why don't you put Glorietta, June 29, 1986. The joy of the journey that Isaiah wrote about is to be in the presence of Jesus. And Jesus said, Arise, let us go hence. Will you bow your head? If you mean business for Jesus, tell him so. If you're willing to pour concrete around the commitment, tell Jesus.
while we're quiet and heads are bowed and a lot of folks are praying and making some decisions that will be like the crisis where nothing will ever be the same from this day on. It just might be that you're here as someone who is not a Christian. You know about Jesus, but you have never trusted him as your own personal Savior and Lord. I share with you the good news. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. No better time than here and now to trust in Jesus. It just might be that you came to Glorietta struggling with a decision about what you really were going to do with your life. It may be that you feel that God has been calling you to some special kind of service or ministry, but you've never made the commitment to it. Why don't you settle it tonight? Oh, what a happy home going if you'll just settle it. In a few minutes, the choir is going to sing. If you would accept Jesus as your Savior, if you would make that life-changing, that life-direction-changing commitment, the counselors will be here at the front to meet with you and to pray with you. For you see, it will help you to share your decision with somebody. And it might be that it would be most meaningful for you if you have accepted the challenge to love people and to reach people that maybe you would just quietly want to move out and just come and stand toward the front or in the aisles as a visible evidence that you're making the commitment that you're following Jesus who said, Arise, let us go hence. Quietly stand, the choir sings, Do as God directs.